The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. I have a good feeling about today. That's all that's all I want to say. Good. I'm glad. I'm very but, excited. Like let's look back to October the 13th, shall we? And uh, there's a post that was made by at Amy Sullivan Music, and it said, try flipping the question to why not me? In this world, we have struggles whether we want them or not. Sometimes it'd be nice to trade them with someone else's. How true is that? Mm -hmm. Instead of asking the why, let's ask the what. What can I do to learn from what I'm going through? How can I use the pain to help encourage others or someone else? Sometimes reframing what you're going through and taking the focus off yourself can relieve some of that burden and help someone else in the process. Uh, how true is that, Holly? Very, very true. I saw this post and thought, I need to talk to Amy. <laughs> yeah. So who better to talk to Amy than the two of us from yes. her why me to why not me's Amy Sullivan. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for saying yes. As we always say, usually we start off with a skill testing question, but I feel like when you have a post like that, mm -hmm. maybe we just dive into, it's like eating dessert first and <laughs> ask you the question. I mean, is it a why me moment right now? Are you going through something where you're asking God that question, why me, or is it a continual thing? Well, let's get right into the nitty gritty right off the bat. Um, I would say the last eight years or so have been a continuum of like, why, what, really, is this happening? What is happening? Um, sort of a situation in our family. And um, I don't feel like I really have asked myself the question, why me necessarily? I feel like it's been more like, why him? <laughs> why my child? And then um, when my second son was also diagnosed, why him again? You know, that question is just an infinity loop of like, there's just no good answer to that. And sometimes it can feel sort of like God's maybe keeping a secret because, you know, we're told all things work for our good together. And we know that, yeah. but we don't know what the good is. And like, it'd be really nice to know sometimes of like, okay, mm -hmm. but what is the real reason for this? And you have to sort of wonder if you had the answer to that, how would you potentially live your life differently? How would you... Yeah decisions moving forward if you knew what this really was all about you know in my life I've sort of come up with kind of two ways of coping with those types of questions of like how could this happen yeah. why would God allow something like this like all those really deep questions that there are no answers to and I would say that um, at least when it comes to special needs moms from what I have learned the past few years of having the privilege of listening to so many really you know, hard stories of other families sort of on the same journey that the biggest problem is feeling isolated and feeling lonely. Yeah. And so I think the first way to deal with the why me is to lean on Jesus, because when mm. you look at, at that problem, there is no resource, there's no support group, there's no other person who's going to come into your life who will ever, ever, ever understand you, your child, your family, as well as Jesus does. So he's like the ultimate resource. So that would be my first answer to the question. And then I think number two is really how can, and this depends on your current capacity, right? There's sort of times in your life where you have to just hunger down and focus on yourself and on your family. But there's other times that you may be able to say to yourself, how can I use what I'm going through and 
channel it into something positive to be helpful to someone else. Hmm. And when you take that focus off of your own struggles, which is hard to do, like that's an easier said than done type of thing. Mm. Yeah. If you're able to find some way to like use it as an encouragement to someone else that can make all the difference as well. So like I say, I'm like, I don't know, we're eight years into this or so and it's, it doesn't get easier And there's still just no real good solution for our family's problems. But I think, you know, maybe just the struggle of that, maybe this is the purpose is to go through those doubting patterns, to go through the wandering and soul searching. That is what draws, I know for myself, me deeper into a closer relationship with God, because Without him, I literally am nothing. When I was younger, I couldn't say that. I'm a planner. I'm an organizer. You mm-hmm. know, I like to, I like to be in control of things, but this situation has just taken it all out from me. And while it's really hard to think of it that way, that I really feel like I'm nothing without God on one hand. On the other hand, I think that's right where he wants me to be. So that was a big, long answer. So we're 320 plus episodes into this. Yeah. You're the first person who we have essentially opened up the fire hose and let people just drink out of it. (laughs) So we've given everybody all that. So now we get to unpack all of that to use a Christianese term because you had said, uh, you know, your diagnosis of your kids. So we don't know mm. what that is. We, we still, theoretically, we don't even know who you are, Amy, yeah. uh, singer, songwriter, mom, uh, wife. So there's, there's all of that. Yeah. And yet we just hit them all with, Oh, by the way, this is my why me. And now we're going to go <laughs> as to why yeah. we're dealing with it. Yes. We're going to do a little rewind. How did you get to this point? So let's talk about you, Amy. And uh, just a little bit about your journey. Okay, well, taking it all the way, way back, I, like many other artists, grew up singing in the church. Props to the King's Kids Choir, okay? Our youth group at church, we did some traveling musicals and that type of thing. So I started doing solos in that. And I just always loved music. And as I got older, I think, I mean, I fronted a few indie bands and sort of started to think, like, maybe I could actually do this. Like, I really enjoyed it. And so... I sort of started along along that path, worked with a few different producers. And then I came to the point where I had not such a great experience. At that time, I thought, you know what? I've got my high school sweetheart here. We're thinking of getting married. I'm just going to drop the artist thing, been there, done all that. And I'm just going to have a quote unquote normal life. And any artists listening who have attempted to shut off that side of yourself. Yeah, Yeah, good luck. Good luck. Laughing hysterically, right? Yeah. Say I did it somewhat successfully for about 10 years. We got married. We had our three kids. And I honestly thought I was done with the music thing. I'd sort of set it aside. And it wasn't really until my first son was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome and a bunch of Mm. other things sort of go along with that, that I found myself going back to writing as a means to sort of process all the things that we were going through. So that was really kind of what brought me back to it, which I think is another common theme with artists, you know, writing about the pain, it's the dark stuff that really gets the creative juices going. So I made a trip out to Nashville for a songwriter's retreat. And that's where I ended up writing my first single pray. And Mm -hmm. it just sort of spiraled from there. And writing about my experiences as a special needs mom has, as I said earlier, given me the, the honor of listening to so many other mom stories. And it's just sort of, you know, blossomed into this 
um, really great way for me to try to encourage and support other people on the same journey that I am. So you and Rachel Lampa essentially both called it quits and then took a hiatus and then started mm-hmm. their careers, you know, back up again. So you guys like phoned each other and said, this is what yeah. we're going to do. That's yeah. a good company to be in. I'll take it. Yeah. All right. It's very interesting. I, you know how social media kind of brings you down these rabbit holes of things. Mm-hmm. I was watching a video. This was a few months ago and it was uh, a girl who deals with Tourette's and it was her, you know, learning how to bake or her doing these things. And I've now gone down this uh, rabbit trail of what is Tourette's and different forms of it and that. So how exposed, how much did you know about it? And then you got a diagnosis with your son. Yeah. So we knew like negative, nothing like absolutely nothing. It wasn't even on our radar. You know, we thought when he was in kindergarten, he was a very shy, quiet boy. And so I'm painfully shy too. So I just thought, oh, he's like me, you know, he's just kind of quiet and nervous about things. And um, in kindergarten, we noticed a few other things that we thought maybe would need some physical therapy when it came to like writing with a pencil, stuff like that. So we ended up going through a full, um, I think they call it like a psychoeducational assessment, which was a big, long process where he had to do all these different tests and stuff. And mm. so the doctor doing that test said to me, have you noticed any ticks? And I was sort of like, what? Like, I didn't even know what she was talking about. Yeah. So when she, she told me then at the end, I think he has Tourette syndrome. The first thing I said to her was, but he's never sworn in his life. That was my yeah. answer. Yeah. And I think, you know, 99% of the population, you've seen a comedy show, you've seen something in a movie, and you think you know what Tourette syndrome is. And that was definitely the case for us because we didn't know anybody else in real life who had it. Mm. So it, it was a, a total, you know, I was right off to the computer, like, what the heck is this? What are we going to do? Like, you yeah. know, how can we help him? So, yeah, we really knew absolutely nothing about it to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been my assumption first as well. But they don't have the language to say things like that. Um, but Jamie Gray, she is Tourette's and she's one yeah. of the first people that I realized, oh, it, yeah. it is. There's it's not a monolith. There is a lot of different ways that it, it is. Um, and so here you are with your first son sorting out what does living with a child with Tourette's mean? How was that adjustment for you? Yeah. So I think one of the greatest moves we decided to make was to find a support group. And so Mm. we found an in-person local chapter of, uh, Tourette Canada and the, the mom leading the group just literally changed my life. And, I think the fact that I was able to not only just meet other people who had the same thing, you know, we'd had seen all these sort of different things and we knew like, we didn't know anybody else who had a kid who was sort of dealing with these sorts of things to walk into this room where I would say, you know, what about this? And she knew what I was talking about. She mm. knew, and I, you know, that understanding, yeah. which we hadn't been able to find anywhere else was just such a relief to me. And she was so patient. She had advice and she listened to all my questions. And I think the second part of how great that was, was the fact that I was able to see her son, who was probably maybe about four or five years older than mine was, and to see that he was okay and he was in school and he was, you know, going through treatment to the same place that we were going to take our son to. So that made just a world of a difference to see somebody that's doing okay with it. Cause it's a scary thing when you don't understand what it is. You're just given this term 
-hmm. And like, this is your life now. And, you know, it's hard to know where to start from there. But, you know, I remember, I think it was probably even the first time I met her thinking, despite the mess I'm currently in, I have no idea what we're going to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to support him. I don't know what the future looks like. But I could tell in that moment that when I got my feet underneath myself, I was going to turn around to the mom coming up behind me and help someone else the way that she Mm -hmm. was helping me because it meant that much, you know, it it was such a life changer for me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like everything I'm doing now is out of that vein of, you know, despite my life is not perfect now, everything isn't tied in a nice red bow or anything, but Um, I have enough capacity now that I can then find ways to find the other moms who are coming up behind me. So for those who don't know, Tourette's, is it a hereditary thing or how, how did this come to pass? Yeah, apparently it is genetic and we're not sure which side of the family. We have some arguments about that sometimes. Like this is your fault. That sounds like my house. Literally, that's that's your family. And your kids (laughs) don't have Tourette's, Holly. What's our problem? Yeah. Well, some of the comorbids that are commonly diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, like anxiety, OCD, Mm. ADHD, those type of things. So we can look back and think like, okay, our family, this side has ADHD and we do have some OCD on this side. So we've sort of been able to pinpoint like it's probably a mix of both of us. We're both to blame here, you know, but we haven't seen it anywhere else in our family, which is interesting because um, a lot of the people we know often when their child was diagnosed, they have then discovered that they actually had Tourette that was undiagnosed for years. And so Mm. um, that's been sort of interesting to see. But really, the technical definition is motor and vocal tics, both of them for a period of 12 months. So, you know, kids can have random various tics, like an eye blinking or like a throat clearing or something. But if you don't have both vocal and motor tics for a whole year, then it's just, I think they call it a transient tic or something. So mm-hmm. hmm, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have your first son and he has Tourette's. Then you have your second child mm-hmm. and you get to that point where like, here we go again. Can you walk us through yeah. through that? It was actually my third. So I have a girl in the oh, middle. Third. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. And she had sort of some random like transient tics that she has never had a full diagnosis. But then my third little guy, he was around the same age as Eli, my first boy. And we started to notice some things. And actually, even as a toddler, to give you a specific example, he had had uh, an eye infection. He was mm. probably, I don't know, like three or four or something. Mm. And so, you know, he's kind of squeezing his eyes and kind of blinking hard. Obviously, we have an eye infection. That's what happens. But this continued on for about four months after where he was still doing that really strong blink. And that's often one of the first ticks, believe it or not, is a, a blinking tick. So I had my suspicions. But if I hadn't already been through it, I probably oh. not would have thought nothing of it. You know, so we were sort of more aware with that. So, yeah, a lot of people ask me, like, what's it like having two special needs children? Because one is enough to really change the dynamic of your family. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it was easier because I didn't feel that same fear. Like I knew what it was this time around. I knew what to expect. We already had, you know, the resources in place and stuff. But it was also really hard to think we're going to have to go through all this again and to know what he had to face ahead of him. And they really have presented differently. And most people with mm. Tourette have, you know, different tics. So one thing that would really bother Eli doesn't bother Ezra and vice versa. So it would be sort of like an opposite type of thing, which makes parenting fun, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Solutions. Like, you know what, let's, 
let's mix this up. <laughs> yeah. So you said living with someone who has Tourette's. So what then, I mean, not just one, but two, what is life like living with not one, but two of your children who deal with Tourette's? That's a difficult question to answer. It's not easy. It's not easy. And I think when you look at ticks specifically, a new tick will start. And if it's not uncomfortable or painful to the person who's ticking, you tend to not really treat it. You just sort of let it run its course. It's the people around who need to be treated. You know, like if he's clearing his throat, you have to just turn it into background noise. It's not worth fixing something like that. If it's a painful tick, that is worth trying to find sort of like an opposing movement to kind of stop it. You can't control ticks, unfortunately. So, you know, you got a new tick coming up and okay, how are we going to deal with it? And we've maybe got this under control. Okay. Now we have a bit of relief. Oh, now here comes another different tick. And now we got to figure this one out. So it's really sort of like a whack-a-mole type of situation, yeah. particularly with two kids as well, because they're both, you know, in different timelines and dealing with all sorts of different things. Um, so I would say, honestly, the comorbids have been a lot more difficult to deal with, even just with the ticks, all the other stuff that goes along with it. So um, it's hard. It's just hard. And I think people who are on this journey, whether it's Tourette or any kind of diagnosis, I think they deserve to be, have the acknowledgement of how hard it is. Like, yes, God is good. And man, what would I do without his strength? But we still need to acknowledge it just sucks. You know, like it's really, really a difficult thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that, you know, the whole mercies are new every morning thing, because man, do I need that? (laughs) Our whole family needs that. So it's a journey and it's a struggle and there's no cure. So it's just about finding how do we navigate one week at a time. I can only imagine three children and it's just dealing with all the extra things. I mean, for me, I only have two and it's like every day you're having to adjust and readjust. Um, How have you coped with that level of always having to have kind of that open hands and being able to be flexible. Well, you should ask my husband that question. (laughs) Yeah, He hasn't picked up the phone. We tried. (laughs) He's like, I'm not talking about this. I thought you were going to bring in a surprise guest. Surprise, your husband's here. (laughs) (laughs) That is a big, big topic that I find that I'm constantly talking about is the whole cliche self-care. You know, I like to call it. Who takes care of the caretaker? That's what I like to, you know, term it as. And it's important, you know, that whole, you need to put your oxygen mask on yourself first before you help anybody else, which feels so counterintuitive. But that's another sort of journey as well. Depending on what's happening in your house, sometimes the the best break you can get in a day is a five minute cry in the bathroom. You know, (laughs) like that can be the only relief off the pressure to, you know, my husband will come home some days and take one look at me and say, we're going to Starbucks, we'll be right back. You know, like, there's sort of, it depends on the day and where you're at. But I think by going back to writing, that made a big difference for me just to have an outlet to sort of put these things out. And keeping that perspective turned outward as much as possible also helps me to cope because I know it's not just me. And that makes a big difference when you think as isolating as it can feel like, oh, nobody else understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. There really are other people out there who do get it. And so if you can find a community, that makes a big difference, too. So there's a whole bunch of different things that you can do, but that changes depending on what life looks like as well. So 
Yeah. And you kind of you kind of answered what my question, my next question was going to be. And it was more so as how has and how has your faith played a role in this? How has community played a role in what you're dealing with? Well, and again, those are the tough questions that there isn't really a, a good answer to. You know, I think that's the struggle of where is the good in this and how does that affect my faith? And I feel like I don't feel like I've ever blamed God for what's happened. I really mm. feel like he's always had my best interests at heart. And I don't think he wants me to be suffering. I don't think he wants to see my kids suffering either. Just that mental, the mindset of how can I dig in deeper? You know, I'm not the first person who's been dealing with problems. Everybody has problems. And do I wish I could trade, like we said, from the post into something different? Like, yeah, I'll take the flat tire today instead. Yeah, yeah. So I think going to him and, and asking those questions, even like, why, why would you give this to me? But not in a bitter mad, like, why, how could you do this to me? But more of like, what do I have that you want me to do with this? You know, like, what is it that I have skill set wise or who I am as a person or my abilities and talents? How come you mm -hmm. gave this to me? And what do you want me to do with it? I think that has been the biggest thing for me when it comes to faith of just continuing to go back to him and saying like, I know you, this is for a reason. And so I give it back to you. I release the control of wishing I could plan and have all the answers and, and um, really drawing closer that way has been, you know, I think a real point of my faith journey with all that. And when it comes to community, I think that has been, one of the biggest differences too, as I mentioned, meeting that mom who has a son like me. And I think just meeting anybody who has a child with a diagnosis at this point. And we actually created a Facebook group called Never Alone for that yeah. purpose. Um, to really reach those moms. There's some moms out there who are so isolated and really, you know, can't get out for a coffee even. Mm. Um, it can be, you know, it's hard to find a babysitter to start with, but sometimes when you have a child, you're nervous to leave them or um, it's just too difficult depending on their medical needs. So I really wanted to think of a way to reach those moms who are um, really struggling on their own. They say it takes a village. And when you don't have a village, it yeah. just makes things a million times more challenging. So, um, yeah, I'm so glad that you have people that you can connect with. And if there's someone who doesn't have a village, what would you suggest they do? The online community Facebook group, it's private. So we only let in actual parents of, you know, who have a, a child with a diagnosis. So that's a good way to do it. Um, we've just started a monthly subscription service for special needs mamas, and it's called Dear Mama Mail. And mm -hmm. it's a monthly postcard on various topics that relate to the special needs parenting journey. And it's something I write every month. So you can sign up for that and it comes right to your door. And, you know, I wanted to give something tangible to these moms. I mean, I wish I could go up to everyone, give them a big hug, you know, but this is a way of reaching again, those moms who really have no other support and it's something they can hold on to tangibly and refer back to on those dark days during the month. Um, so that's another option as well. And I mean, there's tons of information on the internet. If you look up you know, your specific diagnosis, but um, definitely finding people who are doing the same thing that you are is just the best way to get some community.
We talked about how difficult the day to day is for you guys. Uh, do they do they do schooling? Like, are they off to school like in like normal kids? I hate using that term, but I was like, it's the only way that I could ask that question. Yeah. So we've actually gone through a few different phases of different types of schooling. So initially, my oldest son went to public school. Hmm. Then we pulled him out. We put him in a Montessori school right around the time that he was diagnosed and school was just not possible for a while. So we homeschooled him for a couple of years. He is now back in school. He's in high school, actually grade 10, which is crazy. So he has been great and keeping up in school and he has his accommodations and his IEP and all that sort of thing. So we stay in close contact with the teachers and he has really done well. My daughter's been in school right from the start on. She homeschooled it all. And then my youngest little guy, um, he was in school up until, was that last year? We took him out. Actually, during the pandemic, when everything went online, we ended up pulling him out for that. And then he went back for a little bit. And then last year, the last two months, we had to take him out. So he's back in now and like mm-hmm. since September and doing well. So yeah, school has been, oh man, I've, I feel so blessed that they now go to a private Christian school And they have been so wonderful in what can we do? How can we help, you know, explain this to us. And we have just made sure those lines of communication are always open. Um, But it's a difficult thing trying to learn when your brain is so focused on these things that it shouldn't be. So you, you know, you picture a pie chart and you've got like this chunk that's dealing with ticks and then this part's dealing with OCD. And then you've got like this little bit that's left for learning, you know? Yeah. So it's it's been a real challenge, but our medical team has been so great as well in terms of um, talking to the school about things. And a few times I've gone into the kids' classrooms to explain what Tourette is and mm. um, how their friends and stuff can help. So yeah, school's sort of like a, I never know what's going to happen next, but for now, everybody's in school, which means I get to do things like this. So nice. amazing and keep writing more music. That's right. Well, you can uh, follow her music and her life journey at Amy Sullivan Music on the Insta, amysullivan.ca. It was all the hype that money can buy, Amy. I I thought that this was going to be fantastic, (laughs) and it was even more than that. We are so thankful that you said yes, and uh, thank you for taking some time and sharing your heart. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed that conversation, and just to hear about what she has been through, what she's navigated. And like I said in the interview, she's the queen of reframing. And a lot of yeah. times that's what we have to do to survive, but not just survive, to get to a place where we can mentally thrive. You're dealing with one child. No, no, yeah. no. She deals with two children who are dealing with some form of Tourette's, yeah. among other things. And just, you know, having teenagers and everything else, it's just, it's a lot that, um, you know, her and her husband have to deal with. Yeah, but thank goodness they have a phenomenal community, and now they're able to encourage others who are going through similar situations. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Holly, uh, community and how important community is. And we talk about community, whether it be church or maybe it's a group or a small group or a woman's group or a man's group, that we need to be together as community. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, so important. Yeah. So uh, speaking of community projectors, the projector community and the Wyoming Project, thank you to everybody who has uh, signed up, been a part of what we're doing, whether it's on all the socials or on the YouTube. Yes, we so appreciate you. So check it out on all the platforms. Look for Wyoming Project or Wyoming Project Podcast. And of course, you can find us at facestrongtoday.com. Yeah.